welcome to Value-Based Care Insights, brought to you by Illumina Health Partners, a national healthcare consulting firm focused on improving the strategic, financial, and operational performance of provider organizations. On this program, we will explore trends and share valuable insights on how health systems and medical groups can optimize their performance to meet the demands of this increasingly complex healthcare environment and shift to transform the delivery of care. Value-Based Care Insights is hosted by Daniel Marino, managing partner of Lumina Health Partners. Daniel has been in the industry for over three decades and specializes in shaping strategic initiatives for organizations in areas such as population health, clinical integration, physician alignment, information technology, and data analytics. For additional insights, visit luminahp.com and sign up for our newsletter. Dan, over to you. Welcome to Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel Marino. When we think about population health, there's many interventions that are required to support the outcomes of our populations that we're responsible for. And it really does come down to people, process, and technology, and how well not only those three areas are integrated, but how we leverage each of those three areas to produce the right level of outcomes and it's difficult to evaluate really the the return on, on any investment. Say if you're investing in, in the right level of staff, whether it's going to be RNs or medical assistance to run some level of intervention or the process, and certainly the technology. And, and with regards to technology, because it plays such an important role on creating the level of efficiencies that we need in order to drive the outcomes, as well as then the cost structure. In population health, there's different types of technology assessments that have emerged to help give leaders the insights that are important to really identify where that benefit comes in. And in particular, and, and this happens certainly more globally than I think in the United States, but there are health technology assessments, HTAs, that have emerged to help leaders begin to really evaluate what that full impact is on the technology to people process and the technology, if you will. Well, I'm excited today to have a colleague of ours, Dr. Jason Spingler, join us today to, to kind of dive into it a little bit. Dr. Spangler is CEO of an organization called the Innovation and Value Initiative, IBI. Excited to talk about this today. Jason, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan, it's great to be here. Before we dive into what technology assessments are and, and how and, and their impact on population health, why don't you spend a couple of minutes talking about IBI? It sounds like a really interesting organization. Thanks, Dan. Thank, again, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, the Innovation and Value Initiative is a nonprofit research organization that focuses on how do we do a better job advancing the science and improving the methods of how we determine the value of new innovations or technologies in the healthcare space. And so when most people think of new innovations and technologies, we're talking about new medicines, new devices, new diagnostic tools, Etc. And what we want to do is not only improve how we determine how valuable they are to patients and to society as a whole, but also to see how they're better utilized so that we can make better decisions to improve health outcomes for patients and populations. So does 
IBI, not only does it does it support leaders here in the U.S., but are you a global company or is it most of the work done in the U.S.? Most of the work has historically been done in the U.S., though recently we've expanded beyond the U.S., um, and particularly within other developed countries that also use health technology assessment or HTAs like those in Europe, Canada, Australia. Um, but we're just starting to have more of a global presence. Historically, again, it's mostly been in the U.S. Our work has been done. Yeah, it's interesting. I read a few of your of your press releases and white papers, and it sounds like you all are doing some interesting things. So I'm interested. I'm, I'm excited about diving into it. Why don't we talk a little bit about what health technology assessments are or HTA? Um, talk a little bit in terms of uh, maybe give some uh, oversight or some objectives of what the HTA is. Yeah. So you know, HTAs are about fifty or so years old. Um, they were mainly developed in Europe uh, initially. And the idea behind them was that the government was paying for new innovations in their healthcare system, since most of the healthcare systems are government funded and or government run. And they wanted to determine, you know, how much should we actually pay for these new medicines or these new devices? And so what they did was basically a cost effectiveness analysis and a budget impact. So I'll, you know, just easily explain those two. So one is, you know, the cost that we're paying, what are the benefits we're getting? So, you know, the, it's a denominator, uh, numer numerator, denominator. So the, the numerator is health outcomes. What are the you know improvements in health? And then the denominator is cost. How much is it costing us? Right. And then what's the overall budget to our healthcare system um, for these new innovations that we're paying for? So it's basically trying to determine, you know, is it worth it to incorporate and pay for these new technologies that are being developed to help improve patients' health. Yeah, well, and, and when you think about evaluating the, the financial benefits or, or return, if you will, the cost, which typically is the denominator, it's easy to figure out, but the numerator in terms of what you're trying to save or the impact on that is, is of course a little, yeah. is a little tougher. I, I kind of think about care management, right? Because if you do care management well, you're preventing some future diseases or occurrences that are occurring in patients. So how do you create that return around something that, that you're reducing or, or that level of impact? So when you think about that, how do health, how does the HTA then um, talk a little bit about some of the components? How does that figure into some of the, the decision-making that population health leaders might consider? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And the, your question is a question that health economists have been asking since basically the creation of HTAs. For the most part, what they the outcomes they look at and the easier ones to look at are the actual the clinical outcomes, right? And so if you're mm -hmm. talking about cancer, right, is it curing cancer or is it you know extending life? Those sorts of things that are easier to measure. What are more difficult to measure? You mentioned one is something that's preventing future you know bad outcomes, and that's a little bit harder. The other aspect I would say, and what we focus a lot on is things that patients value that aren't, that go beyond just typical health outcomes. You know, if they, if they want to live a certain amount of time because, you know, they want to make it to the wedding of their child or the graduation of their grandchild or something like that, it's hard to, to measure that. And there's other aspects of value that are important too, because, you know, certain medicines, for example, they might not be developed for their original purpose, but the science behind it actually leads to the development of another medicine that actually has a greater benefit. And so, sure. so that original medicine had some value because it helped 
for a future medicine. And so, and but it's harder to, to measure those things. And that's some of the work that we're trying to do. How do you do a better job of measuring those aspects of value that patients prefer and incorporating them into kind of the technical or mathematical work uh, that an HTA historically does? Yeah, and just on, on the surface, you know, certainly... I, and you can see a lot of value, right? Because if you're if you're thinking about evaluating, like you said, one medicine against another and tracking against those outcomes, there, there's a cost and there's a there's a, a value to that. I think with devices that would probably be that would probably be the case. Are, are you is is IBI or with the HTA? Is it is it looking at say health equity or any type of um, outcomes to the patient relating to, I don't know, some of their lifestyle issues. How is that piece of it incorporated into the HTA? Yeah. So again, historically, it has not been. That is one thing that we are very passionate about. And we've been doing a lot of work in trying to get aspects of health equity, social determinants of health. Again, these are all part of, you know, the patient-centric approach. Mm -hmm. Obviously, equity is very patient-centric is important to, to patients, particularly those in underserved populations. And so, again, it hasn't been done. And so we, one of the things that we have been working on with partners is trying to see how you can incorporate those aspects of equity into the process. Because there are, like you mentioned, there's aspects of value that are important to patients and particularly certain patient populations may emphasize aspects that others don't or might be important, or there might be social determinants of health that affect minority populations more than others. And so how do you think about those when you're calculating the value of a new medicine? And let me let me just give you an example. So, mm -hmm. so transportation is a good example. If you're looking at two different devices or two different medicines, and one is something that We'll take a medicine, say one is something that it's in a pill form that the administration is easy because you can just take it at home versus say it's in a, you know, intravenous or infusion where you have to go to a healthcare facility to do it. You know, a social determinant around that is transportation, right? Sure. Transportation can be difficult for certain populations. And so how do you add, add that aspect into calculating the value of the one medicine versus the other? And so, so it, you know, form of administration is not something that Historically, an HTA has looked at, um, but that is something that's really important to certain populations, and it would make one more valuable than the other. And so one of the things we try to do when we're developing models and trying to improve methods is to incorporate aspects like transportation into the value calculation. Oh, that's uh, that's great. I'm really, uh, that's a great example. And, you know, as you know, CMS now really beginning in, in 2025 and with further reimbursement, they are looking at health equity measures. That's going to be an important part of, um, uh, of the way that they're going to be holding providers responsible and, and, and obviously creating some level of incentives. So to incorporate that into the, to the value equation, if you will, I think is really going to be key. If you're just turning in, I'm Daniel Marino, and you're listening to Value-Based Care Insights. I am here with Dr. Jason Spangler. CEO of the Innovation and Value Initiative, and we're talking about health technology assessments. So, so Jason, I just want to build off that for a second. So when you think about then that aspect of transportation and you think about then the medications and so forth, um, 
where are health leaders, how do they get the information? What, what does the model look like? So I can give you several examples of that. As you mentioned in the beginning about the global versus U.S. aspect, because the U.S. healthcare system is such a mix of private and public payers and insurers, we don't really have HTA here. We we have there isn't a private organization that's a nonprofit that kind of does some of these assessments, um, and and we might get to this later. CMS is kind of looking at this, you know, sure. regarding the Inflation Reduction Act, um, but each insurer or private payer kind of does their own assessment already. Uh, and so if they want to get more information, they can go to like a nonprofit that's doing this. Some actually look at HTAs in other countries, whether mm -hmm. it's Canada or the UK, where they think there may be similar populations that, that might affect, you know, their beneficiaries. Um, obviously they can come to, to our work. We, we don't do actual assessments, but we build the models that you can do your own assessments. And so, you know, we love to talk to folks and, and partner uh, on that. Um, you know, one of the issues, Dan, is data. How do you get the inputs for even like our model? You know, where is the data for stuff like transportation, right? Where do you get information? Oh, yeah. That's the hardest part, right? Is getting yeah, the I mean, and, and most of that is qualitative data from you, you basically have to survey your beneficiaries. Um, there are some partnerships between mm -hmm private payers and transportation companies like an Uber or a Lyft. And right. so they're trying to get some data there. And as you mentioned, you know, previously about, you know, how important it is for healthcare leaders and healthcare systems. Some are actually starting in the private sector. You mentioned CMS, but even in the private sector, some are actually starting to pay for transportation as part of the benefit oh, you know, yeah. of their patients because they realize the importance of social determinants and, and equity. And we're just starting to see that. And that's one of the things we're pushing more for. But there, there aren't a lot in the US, a lot of resources for, for this. I think you know our organization is obviously one. Um, there's a couple others that are doing this work. Um, there's academic institutions who are looking into this uh, as well. But again, this is, is a newer thing in the US. And it's only been probably getting more prominence in the last 10 to 15 years. But you know, if we and, and we can touch on this as as you mentioned, CMS is starting to look into this, and as the more they look into this, I think more of the healthcare leaders in, across the country will look into this. Well, it it's, it seems to me it brings forth a, a broader perspective of of evaluating um, the intervention, right? So you're not only just incorporating the technology, um, but then other aspects of of um, those things that really impact patients and. In particular, I like your your transportation example. I have a, a client right now who who manages a Medicaid population, and they uh, they have a pretty strong care management program, and they've also have built a relationship with a local transportation company. Mm -hmm. So when you when you look at the cost of the transportation, and then you look at the cost of the nurses that are performing the intervention, and then the technology overlay. It's very expensive. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, clearly they're losing money. I think when we did the calculation on it on a PMPM level, it was somewhere around $15, $16, $17 per member per month. Mm -hmm. um, they were getting a small, small compensation uh, care management incentive from the plan. I think it was like $3.50. So clearly this was this was an investment. But as I was going back and talking to the uh, population health leader, his big question to me was, where does the return come in? 
So having you talk through this HTA, it makes sense that this level of a broader perspective really would come into play to help us understand what the outcomes are, what the cost is, um, and then how they should be able to act on them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And can I just, you, you sparked something in my mind when you just mentioned this, because we are very focused on the patient, right? Individual patients. But there is also a, an aspect of kind of societal benefit mm -hmm. as well that you and, and this goes along with what you mentioned earlier around population health and, you know, trying to incorporate both of those because there's a lot of new technologies that you can focus on the value to the patient and can address some of those. At the same time, it has a larger societal benefit as well. And I think we don't want to lose sight of that. Um, and and the, the trick is kind of so to speak, is to make sure that you're incorporating both of those, right? You just can't focus on population as a whole, though that's really important right. because individual patients get lost, but you can't just focus on individual patients because we know that, you know, all of these things are integrated, so to speak, around the whole healthcare system. And yeah. our, you know, our job when we're trying to develop better methods and advancing the science is to try to do both. Yeah, and that's a good point. It has to be a balancing act, right? You have to meet the patients where they where they are in order to deliver the care that they need, but we have to also focus on the populations that we're managing and that and that we're responsible for. Can can you walk us through an example? Spend a couple of minutes just talking through um, the HTA under an example, um, whether it's uh, it's more of an acute situation that you were managing through a patient or or may, maybe even managing through a population. Can you walk us through a model? Yeah, sure. Let me I, I, I can do kind of two brief examples. Let me focus one on a model that we just launched around major depressive disorder. Oh, and good. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. As you know, behavioral health has become more and more important over the last few years. The pandemic just kind of added to, to the importance of that and people realizing. And so we built this model really focusing on not just kind of direct drugs and how they affect, but one of the great things we were able to do is to look at, you know, non-pharmacologic interventions or therapies as well as pharmacologic and compare them to each other. But in addition to that, we're able to build in these other aspects of patient-focused value that, that we talked about. One was transportation costs, right? Mm -hmm. If you're taking a, you know, an antidepressant at home, that's very different than getting psychotherapy where you have to go back and forth, right, to a right. therapist. Absolutely. Um, and, and then the other aspect you, you mentioned, you know, what's the return? The other aspect that we incorporate into this model was around productivity, so we we divided that up between absenteeism and presenteeism, you know, absenteeism, people not being able to go to work because of the condition. Oh, so that was really, so let me jump in. So that was productivity of the of your patient, not necessarily productivity of the person who's doing the intervention or the therapist. Yeah, yeah, of the patient itself. Ah, and so, yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, and then presenteeism is those who go to work but aren't, you know, performing the way they should. And so, so we were able to use data from kind of productivity data, we added some transportation costs or some other kind of non-direct healthcare costs, but we were able to incorporate all of that into the model so that you can compare a whole bunch of lines of therapy, right? And so, you know, combination therapy, right. just, you know, psychotherapy itself and the drugs. And so, so that's an idea of, you know, or an example of a model where you're trying to build in the, the simple kind of data, the cost around the drug itself, or, you know, what does mm -hmm. psychotherapy, as well as these other aspects of value, and then kind of compare, you know, what are the total costs, what are the costs per outcomes, and then you can kind of see, 
the overall clinical cost effectiveness and compare, you know, different types of drugs as well as drugs with, you know, psychotherapy. Yeah. So that's really exciting. Let me just briefly mention, you know, another, you know, we work in the rare disease area as well. Sickle cell is another example where people have looked at a lot of new therapies, particularly these gene therapies. But one of the things we have seen, particularly from an equity perspective, is assessments to date have not looked at some you know, what we call kind of patient-focused or patient, even the term patient-important outcomes in the sickle cell community. So one of those is ones that we mentioned previously, right? Transportation costs. There's many different types of treatments for sickle cell and now new treatments with gene therapy. And transportation will change depending on that. Another aspect that is not calculated in this population, which definitely has an equity lens to it, is around pain events that mm -hmm. happen outside the hospital. So right. a lot of sickle cell patients have pain events and they don't, they're, they're, they know how to deal with them at home. And so they're not measured at the hospital, but a therapy that lowers the number of pain events treated outside the hospital is obviously going to be more valuable to that patient community than those that don't, but that isn't typically calculated into an assessment. And so that's an example, again, of how to get not only a patient focused or patient important preference or outcome that they want, but also it brings in, again, kind of an equity mm -hmm. perspective, you know, that you no normally wouldn't think about for a different type of therapy for a specific. Yeah. Process. Wow. That's that's fascinating. And, you know, I, I think the as you're as you're talking about it, I can see the real value of this because the HDA certainly brings in a, a much broader, more comprehensive approach on looking at the different aspects of interventions or uh, medications or what have you, taking into consideration other things that impact the patient. And especially as, you know, we mentioned a little bit about this, as CMS is starting to focus more on health equity, on lifestyle issues and social determinant issues, those those things have to come into play when you're really evaluating the output. I think the HTA, it sounds to me that really aligns well, taken into consideration these other factors. Yeah, I would agree with that if, I would say the, the big if there is if CMS actually looks at it from the perspective of their beneficiaries and considers things that their beneficiaries are important, right? It's easy to kind of just look at the you know, the mm -hmm. cost to Medicare of all the drugs that they pay for and just look at that and not really look at kind of what do their patients really value and adding that equity component that we discussed as well. You're right that, you know, equ health equity is one of the major pillars of CMS's strategic mm -hmm. plan. But Medicare, when they're looking at and comparing different types of medicines and trying to determine how much they should be paying for them, they can't forget, you know, what their patients you know, their beneficiaries prefer, what are the outcomes they really want? And then they need to consider those equity components as well. Or you're going to have populations that are, you know, they might need the, the medications at a certain price and they might not get access to the ones that benefit them the most if CMS doesn't consider those. Right, things. right. So if we have a lot of um, folks who lead clinically integrated networks or ACOs or obviously our leaders of population health within their organizations. Um, any thoughts on where you can direct our listeners if they're interested in learning more about HTA or maybe some aspects of the model or even some output of, of how these assessments have actually benefited organizations similar to those that, that our listeners work at? 
Yeah, sure. So first I would say, you know, come to our website, thevalueinitiative.org. You know, we have all of our models that people can look at. We have additional work and papers, information research we've done over the years to, to you know, to help educate the people that you're talking about. I would also add, we have an annual method summit that talks about kind of the methods we use mm -hmm. in advancing the science. That's coming up um, in on March 14th. Information's on our website. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I'd love that people, it's in person, but we're going to live stream it. So we'd love to have people look into that. I would say to look for more information around HTA itself, um, you know, professional societies, you know, there's an organization called ISPOR, which is basically the International Society of Health Economists. You know, mm -hmm. they have a lot of good information on what HTA is, how it's used in the U.S. and outside the U.S. Um, I would uh, to highly recommend that you know, our listeners follow what CMS is doing around drug price negotiation in the Inflation Reduction Act, because sure. as we mentioned earlier, you know, people follow what CMS or what Medicare does in the private sector. Uh, and so I think it would be it'd be wise yeah. to kind of follow what they're doing. And then the last thing is, as we mentioned, you know, other countries have done this for years. I wouldn't necessarily model what they've done here just because their healthcare systems are different than ours. But there are certain ideas and they have much more experience about, you know, how to incorporate the things that we've talked about. And they're always trying to do a better job of, of you know, looking at what the patients sure. are doing. So I, I think wow. there are many different opportunities to kind of get more educated. And I think this field is going to continue to grow in the U.S. because obviously we want to be, you know, provide the, the highest value care, be as efficient as possible, not waste healthcare dollars and try to improve the population of patients um, you know, as a whole. Yeah. Well, and it's complicated, right? There's a lot of factors that come in if you're truly going to manage the patient correctly that, um, you know, and those those factors, they go beyond just what happens in the clinic setting. Yeah. All of the social determinant factors, all of the lifestyle issues, those definitely come into play. Well, Jason, this is fantastic. Great discussion. I really appreciate you taking time to join our program today. If any of our listeners want to touch base with you directly. Um, can you share your email or are you linked on LinkedIn? I, I am on LinkedIn. My email is just jason.spangler at thevalueinitiative.org. Feel free to reach out to me. And, and Dan, just thank you for this opportunity. It was great to speak with you today. Great. Well, thanks again, Jason. And, and, and maybe you can come back sometime and, and dive into it a little bit in more detail, maybe after your, your conference. So thanks again for joining. And I in particular want to thank everyone here for listening today. Thank you for your time. And until our next insight, I am Daniel Marino bringing you 30 minutes of value to your day. Take care. Are you at a crossroad with value-based care? Do you need to chart a future strategy or improve your organizational performance? Visit us at luminahp.com to learn more about our consulting services and leadership development programs. Also, you can sign up for our newsletter on our website and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. For more information about value-based care insights, visit the program's page on healthcareradionow.com or luminahp.com. Join the conversation using our hashtag, VBC Insights. We are Lumina Health Partners. Thank you for joining us today. Until the next value-based care insight, stay well.